You know, I'm really glad to be here today. Hey, Dennis. Hey, I, I was just talking with your wife on Facebook yesterday. Boy, you guys are doing a great work in Kenya. Thank you. Dale Bowl. Wow, I'm seeing some people I haven't seen for a while. Anyway, it's good to be with you um, and uh, being able to share the Word of God. Ever since this church started, I've been wanting to come. And uh, so I am glad to be here today. Uh, I have great respect for for Matt and Sarah. Um, I remember the first time that I saw Matt, I walked in the youth room and there's a guy with a demon hunter shirt on. And I thought, now there's a guy I can like right there. <laughs> now, I don't listen to demon hunter anymore. I've kind of graduated to, to other things. But... Um, Anyway, I, I really appreciate this, the way that they have, have ministered to people. And uh, it, you've got a, a very special pastor and wife here. And, uh, and I know that God's going to do something. He is doing something. Right now, he, it may just be laying a foundation. How many of you realize laying foundations aren't always the prettiest thing in the world? <laughs> And they're usually a lot of work, right? Anybody here ever laid a foundation? Yeah, they're usually a lot of work. Um, but then comes the building. And the building is people. And uh, I tell you what, you, I think every day we need to be sitting on the edge of our seat thinking, is that person the person that's going to reach the nation's? Is that person the one that God has here in Hesperia that's going to to touch the lives of people around the world? You know, a, a lot of people don't know this story, and I don't know why I'm telling it because it's not in my notes, but I do know why I'm telling it. There's a guy many years ago, his name was Dr. Paul Young E. Cho. He had the largest church in the world at that time, about 130,000 people. But, you know, if you look at his testimony, did you know that a teenage girl came to his house? The Lord had spoke to her heart, and he, and he said, that man's dying of tuberculosis. And, she, and he said, I want you to go and minister to that man. And for the first three times, he slammed the door in her face. Didn't want nothing to do with her. But she kept coming back. And one day she knocked on the door, and he was approaching death. And he said to this young lady, he said, if your God can do something for me, come on in. And that day she led that man, Dr. Paul Young Cho, to Jesus Christ. A few weeks later he was miraculously healed and then went on to build one of the world's largest churches. Well, you know what? I believe there's thousands of people that are like that young lady. That God has a destiny that's set especially for you. And that God's going to move you into those places. And all of a sudden you're, you're just going to see something happen suddenly. Okay? And so I encourage you. Um, stay faithful to God. That next person that you witness to. You never, you don't know who they are. You don't know God's destiny. You know, we got Dennis here. He and his wife are reaching people in Kenya. 
Like, but Dennis went over there to help train them how to milk cows. Is that right? <laughs> That's probably pretty simple. But I remember having lunch with them or dinner with them or something years and years ago. But you know what? You never know who you're going to reach. And so keep reaching people, okay? All right, that's the end of my introduction, I think. Um, but again, I'm glad to be with you. I just got back from Mexico. Um, had a great time. They still talk about Jared in Mexico. Um, when's Jared coming back? When's Jared coming back? And I say, I no, I don't know. I don't know. No say. No say. You know, I like that. I like that word in Spanish. No say. Because it, it can either mean I'm not going to say it, or it can mean I don't know. <laughs> so, but anyway, Jared, anytime you want to go back to Mexico, I'll be going, I think, four times next year. So I want to talk to you out of the Word of God this morning. Um, grace is one of the most essential things in the Bible. But yet, I, as I travel around the world and, and, and here in the United States, I find out that there are a lot of people, a lot of born-again believers that don't really understand grace. You know, we have two sides um, of, of, or two types of people, we'll put it that way. There's the people that think that grace is given to you to get saved and then you have to work for everything else. You ever run into some of them? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, would, I spent many years ministering down in the south. Um, and uh, in Tennessee, there was a place that I used to go to that was called the Glory Barn. And it was a barn. And it didn't have any insulation in it. It was made out of tin. And can you imagine in Tennessee how hot it can get in a, in a barn that's made out of tin? It, get, it would get really hot in there. But I found out the very first time I went there, they didn't believe in wearing deodorant. I didn't have to ask about the doctrine. I knew the doctrine. Okay, the second I walked in there, I could smell the doctrine. <laughs> Well, you see, those people that, I mean, the women would stack their hair up this high and they'd spend three hours to get it up that high, you know. Um, but those people believed in grace. Yeah, you're saved by grace, but then, buddy, you better work for everything else you got. And then there's, on the opposite side of the coin, there are people that say, oh, I have grace, I can do whatever I want. And they say, oh, grace, it's a license that I can go ahead and sin and God's grace is there to cover and I can just do what I want. And the truth of it is, the truth is in the middle of the road. Okay, so we're going to look at grace today. There's a rule in Bible interpretation that says this, the first time that a subject is mentioned in the Bible is where you're going to find out the most about that subject. Now, that rule doesn't always apply, but it applies about 80 or 85% of the time. When you find a subject in the Bible where it's mentioned the first time, you're going to find a whole lot about that subject. So we're going to go and we're going to find out 
where grace is first mentioned in the Bible. Does anybody know besides my wife? Now, let me cue you in on this. It's not, the word grace is not used, but it's seen. Okay, how many of you know sometimes you can see something, and even though the word isn't there to describe it, you, you see it and you know what it is. Okay, where is grace first seen in the Bible? In the garden. So we're going to go and we're going to take a look. If you have your Bibles, how many of you have brought your Bibles? Good. I'm glad, always glad to see um, people with their Bibles. Um, but Genesis, the third chapter, starts out by talking about grace. And it starts out with the very first appearance of grace. Now, how many of you know that up until Adam sinned, there was no need for grace? I mean, God walked with Adam and Eve. There, there was nothing that ever separated the two. And so there was basically no need for grace. But as soon as Adam sinned, you know what happened? Grace appeared. It appeared. Now, let's go and, and, and let's look, first of all, at, at Genesis 3, verse 7. Genesis 3, verse 7. And it says, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Now notice what happened. Just as soon as Adam sinned, just as soon as they sinned, all of a sudden their eyes were open. Now what, were they, what was their eyes open to? Well, the Bible says their eyes were open to their nakedness. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean just physical nakedness, because we'll see something in, in just a few minutes. But it, it, it opened their eyes to a need. How many of you know that if you don't have any clothes, you have a need? <laughs> right? And, and, but it wasn't just a physical need that they had, because it was something greater than a physical need. And so they sinned, and all of a sudden they, they realized that something was different. <coughs> something changed when they ate the apple. Or maybe it was a pear or a peach or a plum or, or persimmons. I don't know what it was, okay? But they realized that as soon as they ate it, something changed in them. They were naked. They were a people that all of a sudden went from a place where they had no need to a place where they had nothing. Zero. Zip. In Russian, nichivo. In Spanish, nada. Nothing. Nothing. Say nothing. nothing. They went from a person that had everything to a person that had nothing. And I want you to notice what they did. Because they saw that they had a need, their first response was to go and meet their need themselves. How many of you realize that there's people all over Hesperia today that they know they need? 
They know that they need something. They know that they need a change in their life. They know that they need salvation. I don't, I don't believe there's a human being alive that doesn't realize their need for salvation. But yet, what we've done is we go and try to cover up. We go and try to find something else, don't we? And that's exactly what Adam and Eve did, the very first people to sin. Their first thing was, hey, let's go find some fig leaves. Let's go find some fig leaves and let's, let's cover up our situation. You see, all through Hesperia and all through Michigan and all around the world, actually, there are people just running around saying, oh, I have a need. You know, if I had a better job or if I had a better wife, if I had more money, if I would win the lotto, I would be happy. No, you wouldn't. You'd probably be broke in about five years. That's what statistics tell us. You see, Adam and Eve basically did what all human beings do. They try to find something to cover up their need. Now let's go on. Verse number 10. And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. Now here is Adam. Now what's, what's transpired in between verse 7 and verse 10 is God came to Adam. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit later on. But notice what Adam says. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid. Notice that Adam, before he had sinned, was never afraid of God. He would walk with God. You know, we don't know exactly how long Adam and and Eve existed on the face of the earth. Some people think it was a week or two. Some people think it could have been years before they sinned. But now all of a sudden, the person that supplied everything that they ever needed, he shows up. And all of a sudden, in Adam's heart, Adam says, God, I was afraid of you, and I tried to hide. Now, how many of you know that's really stupid? (laughs) How many of you know God knows where you're at all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right? He always knows where you're at. But Adam said, hey, I, I was afraid, and I tried to hide. You see, we need to understand the, that sin in everybody's life has results. You know, these people that say, well, I can go ahead and sin and it doesn't hurt me. They don't realize what happens on the inside of a person. It may not look on the outside like sin is, is hurting them. But on the inside, 
there's results. They know their nakedness. They know their need. But yet, they're afraid of the answer to their need. Why don't you give your heart to the Lord? I was afraid that I'd lose my friends. I was afraid he wouldn't take me. I was afraid that he'd make me do something. I I used to believe that if I served God, Jordan, I I know this is hard for you to imagine, but I used to think this back when I was a young guy. I used to think if, if I was to serve God, he'd make me marry an ugly woman. Now, Audrey, stand up. This is my wife. Now, how many of you know this is evidence that 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 was a lie? But you see, sin, what sin does is sin generates fear. It generates this, this, I have nothing to offer anyone. And because of that, it, it begins to generate fear in people's lives. So understand those people that, that you're trying to, to lead to the Lord, those, those sons and daughters that you're trying to win to Jesus. Understand the fear that they have. Because that's what Adam had when he sinned. Now, let's go on. Grace is seen. When God comes looking for Adam. Again, Genesis 3. And this is what it says. Verse number, well, let's just start with verse number 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then look what God says. Then God called out to man and said, where are you? Now, how many of you know God knew good and well where they were? Why did he say that? Because God was trying to get Adam to cope with his problem. He was trying to get Adam to understand. Where are you? Verse number 10. This is Adam. We just talked about this. I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because... I was naked, so I hid myself. Verse number 11 is God's response to Adam. And he said, who told you that you were naked? How do you know you were naked? How do you know that you have a need? You have nothing to offer. How did you know that, Adam? I have been supplying everything you needed for all this time. How did you know? And then God says, Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? 
You see, God is trying to get Adam to understand something here. By the way, I really appreciated Sarah's word, Sarah's word this morning. You know, sometimes we get disappointments in life, don't we? But you know what? You know what I've discovered? Many times those disappointments are God appointments. And he's getting ready to do something. And he's getting ready to break something free in our lives. And so here God is trying to get Adam to do what Adam needed to do to come back into fellowship with him. And he says, Adam, did you eat of that tree? Now, how many of you know God already knew that Adam ate the tree? He already ate the apple, okay, or whatever fruit it was. He already ate it. Why did God do that? Because the answer to receiving all that we lost because of sin is found in one thing. Confession. Amen. It's found in confession. God was trying to get Adam to admit. So what does Adam do? He does just exactly what every husband has ever done on the face of the earth. It's her fault. It's Eve. She did it. I don't think, you know, there's no record of God saying anything, but I think God just stood there and went, "Mm mm-hmm. And then finally Adam says, Yes, I ate. I did it. Eve, she says, it was the devil made me do it. (laughs) And I think again, God just stood there, just waiting. And finally Eve says, yes. You see, the thing that brings us back into the grace of God, into the place that God has intended for us, is this very simply confession. Now, let me just explain to you what confession is. Confession is not falling on your knees and bawling buckets of tears. The value of your confession is not measured by the wetness of your eyes. It's measured by the intention of your heart. I've seen people. I remember going to a minister's conference one time. And David Wilkerson was the, was the preacher. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever seen David Wilkerson or heard him, but he could, he could make a rock repent. I mean, he could, I mean, his way of preaching was, was straight and, and powerful. And I remember seeing all of these, these youth leaders up in the, at the altar just bawling their eyes out. And 15 minutes after the 
meeting was dismissed, I went up to my room that I was sharing with a few other youth leaders, and they met me at the door, and they said, Leon, you don't want to come in here. I found out later they were watching pornography on television in the room. What good did bawling their eyes out do? Zero. Zip. Nothing. Why? Because it's not the wetness of your eyes. It's the intention of your heart. And if you'll come to God no matter... How many of you know that you can walk with God for 40, 50 years and you still sin every once in a while? If you don't believe that, just come visit me sometime. You know, just walk with me sometime. Now, I don't get drunk anymore. I don't do anything like that, you know. But I still, every once in a while, get a little proud or get a little unforgiving. Sometimes a lot of unforgiving. <laughs> to be honest, I'm just, can I be honest with you? Sometimes I get in unbelief. How many of you know unbelief is a sin? And what does it take to get us back? Well, what it takes to bring us back is just saying, God, I admit that I've sinned. That's what confession is. And then God is there. And you know that the whole time that we were going through all of that, God was looking and he was seeking us out. Not because he didn't know where we were, because he was looking for a restoration of relationship with us. You see, grace is not the freedom to sin. It's freedom from sin. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? All you need to do is say, God, I admit that I've sinned. I messed up. That's what confession really means. If you go into the, into the Greek text, you'll find out confession just means to agree with. And God said, you sin, and you said, yep, that's confession. But then notice what happens. By the way, 1 John 1, 9, people tried to convince me that wasn't written to Christians. Well, 1 John was written to Christians. But as soon as we confess what happens to us, all of a sudden, he forgives us. In other words, he wipes it clean. How many of you have ever sinned and then you came back and the devil's just hounding you? And you say, look what you did. You ever, anybody? And then you say, God, forgive me. And God goes, what? But, you see, because just as soon as you confess the first time, he forgave you. But then he says, and to cleanse you from unrighteousness. 
How do you get free from sin? By works? I broke a pair of glasses one time because I got upset about a sin and I slapped myself so hard I busted my glasses. <laughs> you know what? You know what it did for me? <laughs> Nothing. Gave me about a $125 bill to pay for new glasses. But when we confess, when we admit to God, He forgives and He cleanses us. Now I'm a I'm going to be 65 in April, so this some of you have no idea what I'm going to talk about. There used to be a Tide commercial on television that said Tide breaks the power of dirt. Maybe a couple of you remember that. Yeah, I'm, Tide breaks the power of dirt. Well, Jesus' blood breaks the power of sin. So I say to you this morning, what is grace? Well, grace is God seeking out Adam in the garden. But not seeking out Adam to get on his case. But seeking out Adam so that he could bring Adam to a point of confession. And that point of confession then would restore Adam back. Now, some of you are sitting there, you're Bible scholars, you know, and you're saying, well, but God cursed Adam and Eve. Well, he did. If you read the story, it's in there. He cursed Adam. He said, you're going to have to work for everything you got. Right? He cursed Eve and he said, great is going to be your pain in childbirth. And he cursed the serpent. Say, so you're going to crawl around for the rest of your life. And then he cursed the devil who inhabited that serpent. And he said, Jesus is going to get you. He said, you're going to strike the heel of that woman, but he's going to take off your head. Now, that's Leon's version. He's going to destroy you. He's going to crush your head. I've got good news for you. The Bible tells us that because Jesus hung on the tree, that he took every curse for us. He took that curse. Men, you don't have to work for a living. Now, some of you are looking at me really strange. Some of you are thinking, ah, I told you it was time to retire. (laughs) I don't believe in retirement. I believe in refirement. (laughs) We don't work for a living. God's the one that provides for us. We work because it's a command. 
by God himself. If you don't work, you don't eat. Now, you can take one look at me and tell, you can tell I, I like to eat. And so I work. It's a commandment of God. But yet God put Jesus on the cross to remove that curse of, of toil. When God's talking here to Adam and he's, he said, you're going to be cursed and you're going to toil for everything. If you look at it, the reason why Adam had to toil is because of the weeds. How many of you know Adam probably got a hole out and was working in the garden before the fall? God told Adam, he said, now, Adam, you're responsible for this place. You're responsible that those cows get bred and that you have good calves and you're responsible. Right, Dennis? That's good preaching, right? That'll work in Kenya, right? (laughs) Do you understand? God was saying all those things that come to try to rob you, all those weeds, He said, Jesus nailed it to the cross. All those things. Brothers and sisters, because of the grace of God, Jesus came and removed the curse that came from sin. He removed the curse that was upon women that great would be their pain in childbirth. Now, notice, he didn't say that there would be no pain in childbirth. And I'm not preaching on that today. He said, great would be your pain. In other words, unbearable pain. Jesus took it on the cross. Not only did he take that on the cross, and we touched on this, but he then crushed the head of of Satan because of grace. When we sin, we confess. When we confess, that crushing power of what Jesus did on the cross comes and not only does it annihilate and break the power of sin over our lives, but it also takes with it all the effects that that sin has ever bore. Do you understand? So we see the very first time that grace is mentioned or grace is seen in the Bible. God coming after Adam. God arranging his speech and, and what he's saying to Adam to bring Adam to the point where Adam could again be free from sin and be free to walk in fellowship with God. Now this morning I know that I didn't bring this message here by accident. I prayed over it. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you're struggling with forgiving yourself. How many of you have made the same mistake more than once? 
How many of you know the more you do it, the harder it is to accept the forgiveness? I want you to know God's grace doesn't ever run out. It's based in his love. How much does God love you? He loves you further than you could ever measure and you could ever imagine. And his grace is reaching out to you. But his grace reaches out to you so that you can be free. Free from sin. Free from the results of sin in our lives. So this morning as we close, I'm going to ask you just to to bow your heads. Are you struggling with something? God's grace has been given to you so that you could be free. And maybe you swallowed this lie that God's grace has run out. It hasn't. It's still there. You say, well, what do I do? Well, first of all, if you haven't confessed what you've done, confess. Admit it. Admit that it was sin. And then if you have already done that, and you have another challenge, you need to Stand against fear. You need to stand against disappointment. You need to receive the grace of God that enables you to do all that God's given you to do. You need to receive the grace of God that restores back all that you've lost. Right there as you're seated, say these words to the Lord. Lord, I receive your grace your grace to restore your grace to heal your grace to enable me to do and to be all that you want me to be thank you Lord thank you Lord Amen. Amen. Again, I want to remind you, if you're disappointed, it's a God appointment. You know, 
year ago this past September, we, Audrey and I, lost about 30% of our personal income, a little more than 30%. And you know what? We were disappointed. But you know what? It was a God appointment. It was a God appointment. Even though in, on paper it looked like we were going to have trouble, God came in. And we were living, we're giving, I think we gave more this year than we've ever given before in the history of our marriage and of our ministry. Why? Because God can turn your disappointments into divine appointments. Amen.